Welcome to the Retirement Oasis, a podcast that helps you enjoy, plan, and visualize a retirement lifestyle defined by you. Your hosts and fiduciary financial planners, Mel Bond and Steve Martin, are here to offer wisdom and encouragement along with financial and lifestyle ideas for your journey into the best season of life. And now at the helm today, your hosts, Mel Bond and Steve Martin. Thank you and welcome again to the Retirement Oasis. This is indeed Steve Martin, and I'm here with the other half of the retirement crew, my friend and colleague, Mel Bond. Hello, Steve, and welcome, everybody. Steve, what are we going to be covering today? It's going to be an important topic. Uh, It's on the front of everyone's mind. It's a pretty basic question, fundamental question in retirement planning. could be the number one question that when one thinks about retirement planning, and that's when can I retire or can I retire at a certain date? The question is usually answered by knowing how much you need at day one of retirement. Another way of asking it is how much is is enough or what is my number? So we're going to be focusing on that today is how much is enough at day one of retirement. So we're going to talk about how this basic calculation goes and what are some of the variables. But before I delve into that a little bit more, I wanted to reiterate that it's not all about the numbers, right? And planning for retirement because retirement period can be so amazing. It's a a time in which we have more time than at any point during our lifetimes. Hopefully we're going to have the financial resources to do what we want to do to live a secured life. But it really is a time in which we can really get to know ourselves more, if you will, and live that fulfilling life, maybe more so than we did prior to retirement. So I want to stress that, but yet the mechanics of this calculation of how much is enough isn't important. It's very important to make sure that you do know that you are secure in retirement. Otherwise, if you don't go through that calculation, you may not be able to open your mind to uh, living a truly fulfilled life. And also, before we went in further on this question, Mel, I, I wanted to about uh, the fact that there's so many other financial strategies out there that we need to, need to consider that we're obviously not going to have the time to explore today. Could be strategies such as income tax planning. You know, that can enhance one's wealth quite a bit. Portfolio management. It could be using debt effectively or timing Social Security and pension. Just a, a whole host of different issues that go into retirement planning that could impact this question about how much is enough. But we're going to focus on more of the basic calculations. So with that, I'll turn it over to you to dive into some of these variables about calculating how much is enough. Okay. Yeah. Let me give you a little more details on what we're talking about. So these three main factors go into this calculation of how much is enough or uh, how much money do I need to have on day one of retirement? So three main factors in this calculation. The first one is the annual withdrawal amount that you will need to pull from your portfolio in order to maintain your lifestyle and reach all of your various goals. You'll sometimes hear us call this the portfolio paycheck, and we'll give you a little more details on these three here in a minute. The second factor is the duration of your retirement. So how long is it going to be that you're pulling this paycheck from the assets? How many years from you know year one of retirement through the end of your life and maybe a few more years. Then the third factor is the rate of return you're going to earn on the retirement portfolio. Now, little side note here, actually, 
that rate of return factor is two factors in one. It's the rate of return on the investments in the portfolio minus the inflation rate by which your annual withdrawal rate is going to increase during retirement. So we call this the adjusted rate of return, meaning the rate of return on the portfolio minus the inflation assumption on the withdrawals. So let's um, get into a little more detail on these. First of all, that withdrawal amount. The withdrawal amount is just one factor in the analysis, and it's probably the factor that varies most amongst individuals. To determine the annual withdrawal need from the retirement portfolio, the uh, near retiree, as someone who's thinking about retirement, needs to figure out many factors around this, including what their ideal retirement looks like because of much of what we want to do or accomplish in retirement is gonna impact our spending level and the amount of paycheck we need from the portfolio. So not all of our retirement goals have a clear financial consequence, but many of them do. And um, you may be thinking that some of your withdrawal needs will be met by your income, like social security benefits or uh, a pension or an annuity. Yeah, that's true. So maybe we should clarify our terms. When we say withdrawal needs are portfolio paycheck, we mean the amount of money that you need to withdraw from your portfolio after considering your, your income from say social security or a pension or an annuity. In other words, cash comes in, social security, pension, annuity, cash goes out, lifestyle and goals, and then you have a net cash flow need. And that's the amount of the withdrawal that we're talking about today. So kind of think of it like uh, total spending minus my income me equals the amount that my portfolio needs to provide for me. All right, second factor, duration of your retirement. This is pretty straightforward. It's the number of years from the retirement date until the passing of the client. When selecting a duration, it's not time to be pessimistic. I don't know if you noticed we have... A lot of clients who like, well, we, you know, how long are you going to live? And they're like, oh, I'm not going to live beyond 80 or 85 or, you know, whatever. So when we're calculating the duration or we're in using that as an input in the calculation, we're not asking you to give us an opinion about how long you think you're going to live. We want to be conservative. We don't want you to outlive your money. So we usually select a duration that goes beyond your life expectancy so we can make sure your money is gonna be there for you in later years if you live longer than you think you're going to. All right, now, factor number three, the adjusted rate of return on your portfolio. This is the expected rate of return on the investments minus the assumed inflation rate on the withdrawals. We could spend many podcasts talking about the expected rate of return, and maybe we will eventually, but for today, we need a simple realistic number to work with. We're going to use 6%. This is the same number we use in many of our firm's financial plans for a 60-40 portfolio. And maybe I should explain that, right? 60% equities, 40% fixed income. So we call it a 60-40. And then we calculate what a 60-40 portfolio would have given you in history, some minor adjustments to that. And then we kind of give it that number a haircut for fund expenses, behavioral biases, et cetera. So our rate of return is 6%. Now we're gonna subtract the assumed inflation rate. Again, 
We could spend a lot of time talking about inflation, how it's calculated, et cetera. And uh, you probably noticed inflation is making a uh, bit of a resurgence, grabbing some headlines. But for now, let's just think about the connection between the inflation rate and the assumed rate of return on your portfolio. The historical rates of return we use for various asset classes include the inflation rate experienced by investors in those asset classes over that period of time. So while it is a genuine concern of many pre-retirees and retirees that inflation is gonna increase their expenses and their portfolio won't keep up, it's likely that future rates of return will change as inflation changes. So for today, we're just gonna use a inflation rate of two and a half percent. Okay, so we're gonna now finish the math on the adjusted rate of return. Let's take the 6% expected rate of return, subtract the two and a half percent inflation rate, and we get an adjusted rate of return of 3.5%. So rather than spending any more time on this, let's just call it a decent starting point and let's move on. Obviously, it could be less than that, it could be more than that, and we'll cover some of that discussion when we go through a sensitivity analysis. And you're right, we can go deeper into that, and the real math can be a little bit more complicated when we do the actual adjusted rate of return, but we're using simple math right now, and, and just to kind of put it on my compliance hat too, when we talk about a 6% rate of return, Obviously, that's no guarantee of a 60-40 portfolio, and it could vary widely year to year, and your experience will vary, and that's really a very individualized rate of return. We're just using this as an example for illustrative purposes today. So, Mel, with laying out those three different factors, the withdrawal amount for or the paycheck, the duration, and the adjusted rate of return... I'm going to take a look at some of these calculations, and then we'll look at some sensitivity analysis around some of these factors. But let's uh, bring in our sample client, if you will, Randy and Rhonda retiree. They're getting ready to retire. They want to know, do they have enough to retire? How much is enough? Well, let's lay out the, the facts here. And again, we're, we're using very basic assumptions here with this calculation today. Uh, but let's say their withdrawal amount is $50,000. So they want to withdraw $50,000 a year from their portfolio each and every year, growing by inflation. The duration, so the period that they're going to withdraw them out, we're assuming 30 years. In the adjusted rate of return, we are assuming 3.5%, again, adjusted for inflation, as you indicated, Mel. So as we run those calculations, the, the results come back that the how much is enough amount is a little over $900,000, $919,000. So in other words, they would need a little over $900,000 today to spend $50,000 a year in retirement growing by inflation for if their duration was 30 years. Let's dive deeper into these factors and look at the sensitivity analysis around that, Mel. I know, uh, why don't you take it away on some of those? Yeah, so sensitivity analysis. You know, one thing, Steve, we always have to be aware of is our jargon. It's easy for you and I to get off into uh, some technical stuff and uh, use words or phrases that may not be have a lot of meaning to some of our listeners. But um, sensitivity analysis in simple terms means we adjust 
let's say one of the factors by a set amount or a set percentage, and we see what impact that has on the outcome. And, uh, you know, let's say you increase one of the inputs by 10% and the outcome increases by 20%, then the, you, we might say that the calculation is really sensitive to that one input and, and changes in that one input have a pretty big uh, effect on the outcome. But if we change one of the inputs by 10%, but the outcome only changes by 1%, then we might say that the outcome is less sensitive to that input. So anyway, that's kind of what sensitivity analysis is. So for uh, Randy and Rhonda, let's uh, do some sensitivity analysis on the changes to their three factors and how it affects the value of their retirement portfolio. So using their three, just to reiterate kind of what our base scenario is, they're withdrawing 50,000 a year, 30 years of need, and we're gonna use a three and a half percent adjusted rate of return. The calculation says they need 919,000 on day one of retirement. So let's look at the sensitivity analysis on the first uh, factor, the withdrawal amount. So they said they wanted 50,000 a year. If Randy and Rhonda wanted to increase their withdrawals to 75,000 a year. So that's uh, what, 50, to 75, that's an increase of 25,000. That's an increase of uh, 50%. So if they, if we change that withdrawal amount, 75,000, their portfolio need goes from 919,000 to 1.4 million. So again, we increase the withdrawal by 50%, and the portfolio amount needed increased also by about 50%. That's a pretty big jump in assets, but they also had a pretty big jump in spending. I'm sure many of you listeners are going to say that that makes sense. If you're going to spend 50% more, the assets that you have need to be 50% greater. And that pretty much sums up how this factor, the withdrawal amount, affects the uh, portfolio value, beginning portfolio value. That shows really how important it is understanding what that withdrawal amount is. Uh, and we'll touch on that in just a bit. But but the other sensitivity factor we want to look at was duration. So what if you increase the duration or the time you needed to withdraw the amount by five years? So you tacked on five years at the end, say basically increase their longevity by five years from 30 to 35 years. It didn't have as big of an impact as what one might think. It increased the number. What's your number amount from 919000 to to a million dollars? So not a huge increase, about a 9% increase, even though you increase the life expectancy by five years. Somewhat surprising that it, it doesn't make as big of an impact, but nevertheless, it is an impact. And that's why we want to be uh, conservative in our longevity assumptions. And, and we'll touch more on that in just a bit. But but note that this is not the same as saying you want to retire five years earlier. If you want to retire five years earlier, that'll make a huge impact on the amount of savings that you have. So, so I don't want to suggest that retiring a few years earlier isn't that big a deal. It's a huge deal. But adding five years on towards the end of the life is not as, as big of a deal as what what I would have thought uh, before I ran the numbers. 
Mel, why don't you touch on that that last factor, the rate of return on the sensitivity analysis? Yeah, yeah, of course, I'd like to talk more about that uh, duration, but I guess we'll do that at a later time. I think it's just fascinating that five years at the end is not a big deal, but five years, extra years at the beginning is a bigger deal. That's cool. So sensitivity analysis on the rate of return. This is the third variable, right? That adjusted rate of return. And so just remember, we put in three and a half percent as the adjusted rate. And that gave uh, Randy and Rhonda a need of 919,000. And then if we assume that rate of return is maybe a little too high, they want to be conservative or maybe they're uh, you know increasing their inflation estimate. Uh, so we're going to lower the adjusted rate of return to just two and a half percent. So from three and a half down to two and a half, you plug in those new numbers and Randy and Rhonda now need uh, a little over 1 million, 1 million 50,000. So reducing the adjusted rate of return by a mere 1%, and of course that's from three and a half to two and a half, the amount needed at day one increases by 14%. So I'm not gonna get into the weeds of this, but the rate of return obviously matters. We can have several different spin-off podcast episodes on this one issue, and we probably will. But for now, the point is that making the right assumptions and understanding the potential range of outcomes matters. It also shows that achieving a favorable rate of return could obviously impact one's quality of life. Of course, with investments, it's not merely going for the highest return that matters because risk also matters. And you absolutely have to take into account the risks of various investment portfolios and the allocations different asset classes and consider ways to mitigate that risk. But that's a topic for another podcast. So with these illustrations, we were trying to highlight the three main variables that go into deciding how much you need at day one of retirement and also the sensitivity in those three factors and how it affects the amount that you need. There are some very simple retirement calculators out there online, and we'll provide a link to some of those calculators in the footnotes. There are also, in addition to these retirement calculators, the industry has a lot of rules of thumb. So just to touch on those for a minute, you might've heard it said that a retiree needs 20 to 35 times the amount of withdrawals on day one of retirement. And so take your the amount of your annual withdrawal in the first year, multiply it by 20 to 35, and uh, that gives you the amount of the portfolio that you need. So Randy and Rhonda spending 50,000 a year, that equates to about 1 million to one and a half million in day one funds. And it's no coincidence that those numbers are really close to the numbers that we calculated earlier because this uh, rule of thumb, obviously was developed in in light of these calculators. And another rule of thumb, it's interesting, we, we really talk to our clients a lot about it, is the withdrawal rate. In this withdrawal rate, the concept is that what percentage of your portfolio can you withdraw each year and still maintain a balance until the end of your life in a relatively conservative fashion? And uh, we'll go into detail, but roughly you've heard anywhere, generally 4% is the number that is often brought up in a safe withdrawal rate. And we could argue that it is maybe a little bit lower in today's economic environment. 
And if you retire earlier, it might be more like 3% and retire later, maybe a little bit higher at 4.5%. But 4% is a good uh, discussion point for the withdrawal rate. And that does relate to how much is enough calculation. So if we say 4% is the withdrawal rate, if we do the reciprocal of that, we come up with 25 times. Well, 25 times uh, uh, times your spending amount is the how much is enough number. So these two rules of thumb, uh, again, they are just rules of thumb, not a lot of detail behind them, but uh, they do make sense at a high level. But as with most calculations and rules of thumb, Mel, there's obviously much more to the story, um, certainly much more to planning for retirement in a sensible manner. Again, cover that in more episodes, but let's take a deeper dive into these some of, some of these variables. Again, the calculation we just went through was pretty simple. Real life, it's much more complicated, of course. So let's look at that withdrawal need. Uh, you laid that out pretty well, Mel, before about what that withdrawal need is. Again, it's not what your spending amount is. It's your expenses less your income. That's your net need from your portfolio each year. Real life, it's more complicated because expenses can vary throughout retirement. You may have higher spending in the early years. We talk about these go-go years when you might be a little bit more healthy in the early years. So you may incur higher travel expenses. We see that quite a bit with uh, the folks we work with. If you retire early before age 65, your medical insurance may be quite a bit more unless you do some planning around that. But in general, medical insurance can be quite high. If you retire before 65, then it decreases when you're at 65. Mortgage liabilities uh, may go away at a certain point. Some of you may be blessed not to have a mortgage by the time you retire, but many of you will, but it may not last forever. So again, that's an expense that varies in retirement, may go away, uh, or you may have larger expenses later on, such as long-term care expenses in your 80s and 90s. So again, uh, that withdrawal needs not a simple calculation, but a very important aspect of determining what that withdrawal need is really understanding your budget. And that is, you know, one aspect, Mel, I don't know if you'd agree, but really one area that as a society or as individuals, we don't spend enough time with. It's one of the most underrated tasks, I always say, along with flossing and hugging your mom, it's probably one of the most underrated things that we can be doing in life. Um, so we really do need to take time and understand what we're currently spending, understand where we want to discontinue spending both now and in during retirement, because without that attention to detail, we can really get the wrong results with this calculation. Garbage in, garbage out definitely applies in, the, in understanding our spending and our budget is one of the big drivers of uh, getting bad results, if you will. And again, expenses, I've talked about that, how that can vary throughout lifetime. Might skip over that. But income taxes is another variable that we really did not touch on much during this podcast, but it's an expense. Sure, we're not going to have income taxes because due to wages, uh, many of us won't. Many of us will do semi-retirement work potentially or other kinds of paid jobs. But for the most part, the income, the W-2 income taxes may go away, but that doesn't mean that we should ignore income taxes in retirement in light of the fact that IRAs are taxed at ordinary income rates. So security is, is usually taxed by, by a pretty good percentage. Pension money is taxed. Interest, dividends, and capital gains are taxed on your uh, your 
regular brokerage account. So income taxes are a big expense item, even in retirement. Of course, you want to plan to try to minimize that. And certainly there's a lot of neat techniques that we'll explore uh, throughout our podcast episodes. Uh, but for now, know that taxes can be five to 25% of the budget. So when you're going through even these basic calculations, factor in taxes as part of this withdrawal factor. Another complication in determining what that withdrawal need is, and you alluded to this, is the other income in retirement. You mentioned the Social Security, pensions, and those amounts vary, right? You may not be getting Social Security or pension at day one of retirement. So that complicates the calculation. You know, it might be a five-year period in which the withdrawal rate is a little bit higher because you're waiting to take Social Security until you're age 70 or something. So again, that just complicates the calculation. And again, that's why some of these simple calculations, a lot of times they can tell you if you're directionally correct, and I think they are good for that purpose, but really we do encourage everyone to dive into the details of your individual situation to get a more detailed calculation about how much is enough. Okay, now that we've laid out why the withdrawal amount is such a big factor and how the details matter, in that factor. Let's turn to the second factor. Okay. Now that we laid out why the withdrawal amount is such a big factor and how the details matter with that factor, we're going to look at the second factor, duration of retirement. And kind of like with withdrawals, there are a lot of complexities to this. And so we'll, we'll touch on some of those. Of course, duration is defined by two dates. The date that you retire, there that's when the duration starts and it ends at the date of your death. If you know those two dates, you know exactly the duration over which you can make withdrawals from your portfolio. Of course, most of us can't control the date of our death and we feel like we have more control over the date of our retirement when retirement starts. But you know, even that's not always the case. Our, our best laid plans often go awry and, and we end up not being able to control exactly when we retire. We like to think about having an ideal retirement date that you're shooting for, but also thinking about an acceptable retirement date, which is maybe a, a range around that ideal date. You know, this idea of exactly when you're going to retire, the ideal retirement date can be influenced by maybe a a recession and the loss of a job or some other life event that causes you a little bit earlier than you thought to consider retirement. We also have have seen in clients that when uh, we get into a bear market and they're uh, heading toward their ideal retirement date, they just feel better if they wait a little while. Now, we may have done all the calculations for them and, and given them a portfolio that really helps them sleep at night, but uh, they still like waiting a few months before they retire. Of course, we saw this last year with the pandemic, right? People were like, I'm not sure I want to quit working right now. I got a job and I need to see how this pandemic's going to pan out before I actually turn in my notice. But this date though, this this idea of the duration, the second factor, it's um, it's a pretty big number to be thinking about. And I would say it's not too early to start thinking about it. If you're a big adherent to the FIRE movement, it probably, you spend a lot of time thinking about when you're going to retire and how long that duration is going to be. But for a lot of folks, 
you know, you get into your 50s and you start thinking about that date and uh, what it might look like. We would encourage those, I would say, especially those who are 15 years from retirement to start thinking about their potential retirement date. I would say most of our clients are coming to us maybe two to five years before retirement, but ideally we would say you might need to really be making some, start making some changes in different aspects of your retirement portfolio and other retirement planning situations as much as 10 years before. So better not to put off that kind of deeper understanding of this, you know, for too long. There are two extremes in retirement dates uh, when you think about this duration factor. How much more do you need to save versus how much more can you spend? When you consider different retirement dates, your duration can change, the actions that you need to take before retirement are going to change. And so this retirement date can drive many decisions as you get closer to retirement. Yeah, and I think that's incredibly important just to uh, butt in there, uh, incredibly important to consider that retirement date, understanding when that might be. Yeah, that's important for determining what my number is, but all of these other planning strategies that one can do, uh, it can impact asset allocation. It can impact tax planning quite a bit. Uh, It could impact spending, as you said. So a whole host of planning related decisions need to be made in anticipation of that retirement date. So again, that's another reason not to be too cavalier about thinking about when you might want to retire. Yeah, no, that that's right. Better to start thinking about it earlier. And, and the other factor in this duration, Mel, I'll touch on is the longevity. And again, more details on this, that, that makes it a little bit more complicated. As you said earlier, we want to be conservative on when we assume we want to pass away because we don't, ideally, you don't want to pass away without uh, without any money. In other words, you don't want to be reliant on your kids or, or grandkids or others to meet your needs in retirement. So you want to be a little bit conservative. Yes, you want to take into account your your genes and in in your individual health situation. You don't want to be too conservative because if you are too conservative and assume age 100 or whatever, and you really have a true life expectancy of 85, then you're probably leaving some some money on the table, right? You're probably either working longer than you should be, or maybe you're not spending as much as you could in retirement if you're too conservative. But it is important to err on the side of being conservative so you, that you do not run out of money. Uh, but ultimately, it's your, it's your call uh, when you're doing these calculations, when you're making decisions on how much to save. Because if you do have flexibility to alter your spending in your later years, and more than likely your spending will decrease in your later years. If you have that kind of flexibility, maybe you don't have to be as conservative as somebody else in determining what that life expectancy would be, which again is an important element of, of that duration. So we'll get into you know, many other areas around the longevity and successful aging, Mel. I know that's a passionate topic of yours. I'm looking forward to those episodes in the future. But for now, just know that that longevity factor is certainly something not to be taken lightly. You know, understand your history again. I would, uh, you know, talk, you probably know what your grandparents and 
great grandparents and parents, maybe what their what their life expectancy was, I guess, if you will, or what their duration was. But there's some other resources out there that we will provide in the show notes, some links that you can calculate what your life expectancy is based on a few different factors. Uh, obviously, no, no guarantees in those calculations, of course. Mel, and I know there's no guarantees in this adjusted rate of return. I know that's a complicated factor as well to digest. I'll, I'll let you t- take that away. Yeah. Well, and and I'm going to toss in one more on this longevity thing and try not to take, you know, hours talking about it, but had a friend several years ago diagnosed with blood cancer and just totally changed his life, you know, job, family, outdoor, you know, outdoor activities that that he participated in and, you know, just a very serious prognosis. Then he got a, a bone marrow transplant and was completely healed of the blood cancer. And so, you know, he got his life back. And uh, so, you know, medical science is doing some amazing things. Okay, now this third factor, the adjusted rate of return. Yeah, so if you're uh, using your financial calculator, I kind of like thinking about doing this. I think you and I both have our HP 12Cs on our desk all the time. I think mine is older than yours. It's a little over 30 years old, but uh, who's counting? Uh, on On your financial calculator, you've got this PMT button. That's your withdrawal amount. And then you have that N button. That's the number of periods. That's your duration. And so our our final input for this is going to be the adjusted rate of return. And I believe that's the I button. Is that right, Steve? That is correct. Okay. Remember, we talked about adjusted rate of return. So that means that it's adjusted for inflation. So the withdrawal amount is assumed to need to keep up with inflation so that your standard of living stays consistent throughout retirement. And so we want to use an inflation rate that applies to your expenses. And remember, we did talk about how expenses can vary in retirement, but for our calculation purposes, we assume that the expenses are more static every year and only increase by the amount of inflation. In other words, we're not trying to do multiple expense calculations. Oh, I'm going to travel for the next 10 year, first 10 years, and that's going to be this amount of money. And then that expense going away. We don't have in these simple calculations, we don't have the luxury of putting in that detailed financial modeling that you can get from a professional financial planner. Uh, And certainly uh, the tools that we have as professionals uh, allow us to go into a lot of detail. So with our, our basic calculation, we're just assuming that the withdrawals are going to grow with inflation. And instead of trying to inflate those withdrawals in the calculation, we subtract that inflation rate from the expected return of the portfolio. As we said before, yes, inflation rate, getting some headlines, it's difficult to predict it in the short term. And guess what? It's also difficult to predict it in the long term. Well, you recall one of the Federal Reserve's two mandates is to uh, keep basically keep the inflation rate down. But how good a job can they do about that? And uh, I guess we're going to find out in the next few quarters. But the inflation rate has been very low for a long period of time and uh, fairly tame. But we can't assume that it's going to stay low forever. Uh, in our long-term analysis, we want to use between and 3%, we usually get right in the middle there at 2.5% for most expenses. If we could adjust 
Healthcare expenses with a little higher inflation rate, we, we get a chance to do that, then, then we're going to do that. And of course, your adjusted rate of return, it just depends, right? Depends on what? It depends on what your allocation is. How much do you have in stocks? How much do you have in bonds? How good at you are making investment at making investment decisions? Have you hired an advisor who is good at making investment decisions? What is your time horizon? What are your risk capacity? What is your, we like to call it your sleep factor of how your portfolio is behaving. All of these different things come together to talk about what your portfolio looks like. And then your portfolio, we, we pull historical rates of return for those various asset classes and asset subclasses to give you an expected rate of return for your portfolio. As I mentioned earlier, you know, we took a little more simple approach. We had a broadly diversified portfolio, 60% stocks, 40% bonds. So we didn't really get into too many details there on what's in the portfolio. And we didn't get into the details of how uh, economists and financial analysts may change the expected rate of return because of current market conditions and, and those types of things. I think uh, one thing I'll, I'll mention is uh, maybe just a few more quick points, asset classes. Now, a lot of people use the S&P 500 as a benchmark for their portfolio. And I just want to remind everybody, you know, the S&P 500 is the 500 largest stocks on the U.S. market. So if you're comparing your stock portfolio to the S&P 500, you're only comparing yourself to U.S. large cap stocks. What about small cap stocks? What about any kind of international stocks? So I think the financial media reinforces this belief because they uh, quickly throw the S&P 500 on some report as the benchmark. And you know, that may not be the most appropriate benchmark to see how a certain uh, portfolio is behaving. And, you know, be cautious about averages. We're talking about an average rate of return of 6%, you know, what, and then the adjusted rate of return is three and a half. You know, when you put that 3.5% in as your eye on your calculator, you're going to assume that the same rate of return occurs every year for the whole duration. And we don't get the average return probably in any year. Every year is above or below the averages. And uh, maybe the, the last thing I'll talk about is, you know, kind of volatility. It can kind of disturb you if you get too much volatility, especially as you get into near retirement or early into retirement. There's this phrase you may have heard about, the sequence of return risk basically means that as you head into those first, those years just before retirement and just after retirement, if the stock market hits, a, hits a, a bad bear market during that period of time, it can have a significant impact on your retirement funding. We won't get into all of those details, but these are important when it comes to building your actual portfolio and getting into the details of that. You can do Monte Carlo analysis. And again, we won't talk about Monte Carlo analysis today, but that's one way to begin to measure that sequence of return risk just keep in mind, we're using a real simple number here, assuming it's going to be an average all through the duration of retirement. And that's really probably too simplistic, but it can give us a sense of how much money we need to save for retirement. And to, be, and to add on to that, to be really conservative on some of these basic calculations, again, our calculations were just 
simple math, assuming you got averages. But if you did not get the average return throughout retirement, especially early on, which which there will be some retirees that don't, uh, you know, based on the era that they live in, then that would suggest saving even more than what those basic calculations would indicate. And from our perspective, too, again, we're always trying to make sure our clients don't run out of money. That Monte Carlo analysis or looking at the maybe the lower return averages would suggest saving, you know, sometimes 20 to 40% more in some cases, if you're really conservative than what the simple math suggests. So the rate of returns, a huge, huge variable, if you will, that, that is quite volatile, that is quite hard to predict, that we don't have as much control over in some cases. But again, there's a lot of planning techniques maybe to, uh, to minimize the impact of downturns. Yeah. And Steve, I might add, you know, we talked about sensitivity analysis and I would encourage everybody to do that for themselves in their own calculator. Don't just plug in your three very your three factors and look at your number, you know, play with that a little bit. What if I want to spend a little more? What if I, my retirement lasts longer? What if my rate of return isn't quite that high? Or maybe my return's too low. What if it's a little higher? You know, do your own sensitivity analysis to uh, get a range of numbers uh, as far as how much do I need at retirement? Maybe a range should be there instead of just one number. I think you're right, Mel. That's a great approach to look at the range of outcomes. Well, great. We've looked at a lot today. We looked at the three main variables in the basic calculation of how much is enough. Those factors were the withdrawal need, the duration, and the rate of return. And as Mel and I just described, though, it obviously becomes a lot more complicated when you really look at the nuances of all of these factors. Nevertheless, we think this is a good exercise for you to take. If you haven't taken the step yet, we always like to encourage our listeners to take action on these episodes. And the action for you today is to figure out what is your number or how much is enough. And obviously that will probably require you to start thinking a little bit more deeper about retirement planning, but that's a good exercise to go through initially to begin uh, your retirement journey. Thanks everyone for joining us today at the Retirement Oasis. For more information, you can go to theretirementoasis.com where you can find links to additional resources mentioned in this episode. If you want guidance and encouragement in planning for your individual retirement situation and want a fresh approach from fiduciary professionals, please visit our firm's website at oasiswealthplanning.com and you can schedule an exploratory call with either Steve or myself, Mel. Also, if you really liked what you heard today, please visit your favorite podcast platform and give us a rating and review. Your encouragement encourages us to share this podcast with others and let them hear how we can help them. So until next time, we here wish you clarity, confidence, and cheer on the way to your retirement oasis. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Retirement Oasis podcast. You can find more episodes and resources at theretirementoasis.com. Steve Martin and Mel Bond are certified financial planning practitioners at Oasis Wealth Planning Advisors, a registered investment advisory firm headquartered in Nashville with meeting locations throughout the Southeast, including Tennessee, Florida, Georgia, and Alabama. 
The opinions given are for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be construed as personalized investment, financial planning, or tax advice. Consult your own professionals for recommendations specific to your situation. Investments involve risk. Past performance cannot be used as an indicator to determine future results. On behalf of the crew at the Retirement Oasis, we thank you for listening. 